This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priests said her any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found out Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Someone has to have a conversation about all the resources at, Len- at Leinster. You know, if the IRFU are paying for, for basically the professional game and overseeing that and kind of budgeting for all this stuff, they need to be willing to sacrifice some budget for this because what you, the only way you're going to be able to attract these guys out of Leinster is by paying them, like, really good money, uh, which I don't think they're willing to do at the moment. It was a mixed weekend for the Irish provinces as Leinster marched on to the last eight of the Champions Cup after dominating Ulster while Munster conceded 50 points in defeat to the Sharks and Connacht exited the Challenge Cup with a whimper. On the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will discuss all the storylines from the weekend and look ahead to the Champions Cup quarterfinals. Will Slattery here, glad to be joined by Keane Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald. And Keane, it was you know an exciting weekend of Champions Cup action, albeit most of the drama probably came in games not involving Irish teams. We had the La Rochelle-Gloucester game and Exeter-Montpellier, you know, with plenty of, of drama there. But from an Irish perspective, you know, Leinster, you know, winning quite comprehensively. Munster having a pretty disastrous day in Durban. It, it kind of just reinforces the gap between the provinces. And if anything, it's probably getting bigger. We thought maybe it was closing a bit. Maybe in the, we'd let Munster potentially getting back to the top table or on their way. But after last weekend, like, what, how are you assessing things in that regard? Oh, I would say the gap is as big as it's ever been, really. Um, I mean, Munster closing the gap, I think, is probably all relative because they've been so far away in the last few years. And like we spoke about this um, last week, the three of us on the podcast, that we felt like there is no doubt that Munster are, I, I think, personally, are on the right track. Their attacking game plan has moved on. They're, you know, coming back to getting more of their identity back. And we kind of put the the performance and the defensive lapses against Glasgow maybe down to a bit of a blip and maybe we were a bit naive to do that because we kind of ignored the fact that they conceded a hat full of points in the second half against Scarlets the the previous game now they got away with that obviously because they won but god like when you put those the second half performance against Scarlets the the performance against Glasgow and then the performance in Durban last weekend defensively it's been a horror show, like with 130 points, 18 tries conceded in two games for an area of their game that they had really improved uh, under Dennis Lee, you'd have to say, after a few early teething problems. So um, you compare that to what Leinster did the, the later on that day. And yeah, I, I don't think a 15, I think a 15 point gap was probably kind, I would say, to, to Ulster. I, I think everything that we spoke about on the podcast last week as well, I thought came to pass. Leinster just put the squeeze on them up front. Like Ulster did what they can, but the reality of the situation is they're, I would say, minimum 15 points uh, behind behind Leinster. And that's just where we are. Really disappointing for Connacht as well. I kind of was looking at the Challenge Cup as it, you know, they had a chance, I think, of going far into that, but they paid the price by having to go away from home they had a costly defeat was it to Newcastle earlier in the tournament and you know that's kind of like what Munster have done over the years missing out on that home advantage which is so important so um it was a bit of a weird one I think I would totally agree with the point that you made Will that I thought it was a brilliant weekend for you know the Champions Cup Champions Cup rugby I actually got to see a, a lot of the games which live which I wouldn't normally get to do like you kind of be watching the back and trying to play catch up but there was a lot of brilliant games but from an Irish perspective yeah, like Leinster, just, you know, a machine that marches on. And it's, I suppose, concerning from an Irish rugby perspective that uh, everyone else is falling so far behind. And that's not to take away from Leinster's success. And I know we'll get into that. It's been a major talking point over the last few days. And we shouldn't really take away from Leinster's success, really, because 
what they're doing okay they they have you know perceived advantages which are definitely there but they're a brilliant brilliant machine they're a brilliant rugby team they showed last weekend against Ulster that they can win in different ways I thought like when you know, when I got up on Saturday morning and, and I saw what the weather was like, I kind of was like, this is going to play right into Leinster's hands, where a lot of people would have said, oh, you know, Leinster would have wanted the fast the fast track. And while if they had the fast track, I've no doubt that Leinster would have beaten Ulster as well. But to be able just to put the squeeze on them up front, I think the weather played into their hands. And we highlighted, I think myself and Luke were highlighting the, the tight five in particular last week. And that came to pass. Leinster just did an absolute job on the yeah, before we get into some of the on-field stuff, just Luke, you know, after the game, the Leinster Ulster game, Dominic Farland was talking, and he, you know, he mentioned the, the demographics the Leinster have, that you know, the the financial, I suppose, clout in in, in Dublin or in Leinster that can contribute to to what they're able to do. What did you make of him? Kind of, I know he was asked questions about it. He didn't just bring it up himself in the aftermath of a match, and he did say that you know you still have to put your best foot forward and try your best, and he still thinks Ulster have improved. But just to to kind of bring those things up, what do you make of it? Yeah, I'd say he's right. I like there. I don't think he said anything that I that I that I disagree with. Um, I saw a few responses. I think uh, Stuart Lancaster. I think had a response to it. Uh, I'm going to say it was today. I think um, probably yesterday discussing it. But uh, you know, he did you know cite the the difference in, in coaching, or he thought that the coaching staff had been very very strong, and and the setup in Leinster had been very very strong for for a period of time, and he thinks that's probably what's breeding the consistency there, the consistently kind of high level. Um, I would say, look, generally with, with these things, it's probably a combination of both, isn't it? I mean, Leinster have been very astute with their coaching tickets for, for quite a long period of time. I think the the one blip probably was Matt O'Connor, who in fairness actually was, was an excellent coach, but probably just not suited to that head coaching position, I don't think, on reflection. But certainly, you know, very, very knowledgeable and interesting thoughts on the game. Um and uh, you know he he still had a, a reasonable amount of success, probably because of the yeah that that kind of depth that you have in Leinster, um, just in terms of the talent coming through. So yeah, no, I think um, probably a bit of merit in what both guys uh, said. Will is probably where I'm landing. I think there was a lot of truth in it, and um, yeah, look, I, I still think you know, and Dan probably did say this, and I don't think he was making an excuse as such. I think he was probably observing you know facts i think but i i do think they'll be disappointed with how they played i thought they didn't really fire a, a shot um didn't really you know back their skills i think uh to you know in in those wet conditions where leinster did that on a number of occasions they did they, they did come back into their shell a little bit and play the conditions um you know after about 30 minutes of the game i thought they played a bit more sensibly then but there were still occasions where leinster tried to be a bit more expressive and expansive and i think they um, you know, while the damage was certainly done in the in the front five, um, you know, Leinster's endeavour, I think, probably was was the the difference maker in the end as well, um, and their accuracy. Um, so that was, you know, there were still things they could have done on the day to make that a you know a sweatier finish to the game. I think, uh, even though my 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 good feeling, as everyone's probably was, was that Leinster had far more of the game territory, etc., and just looked far more menacing throughout. And you never really felt, even though the game was tight, you never really felt like Leinster were going to lose that one. Similar enough to that Ireland-England game, I thought, the week before, where you know it was tight for a period. And yes, there were some nerves and things weren't going all Leinster's way uh, or Ireland's way, but you never really felt like they were they were in danger of losing the game, Will. Um, so that's probably my, my, a few thoughts on, on the conversation and the game. Um, you know, I thought it was um I thought it was a disappointing one for Ulster. I think they're better than that showing as well. Uh, I thought they kind of wilted a bit. So um yeah, probably more to dive into in there in, in that respect, I think. Yeah, Keen, like what's your perspective on some of the points that Luke touched on there? Like obviously the McFarlane comments as well, you know, and obviously the match too. Yeah, I I would agree. I think he was being realistic. He was speaking matter of factly. I think when you read those quotes, it can probably come across as you know, potentially a bit defeatist, but um, I like I would have liked Ulster to have shown a bit more ambition. I think you know you look at Irish team like Ireland in particular going up the be- against the best teams in the in the last you know eighteen months in particular, and they've just developed their game plan. I don't think Ulster showed enough ambition. I know the conditions were poor, but just in terms of like the you know the advantages, if you want to call them that, like like there's no problem in like I don't see a problem in in saying that there's a bigger population and there's more money in Dublin 
So, of course, Leinster are going to have that advantage. But there's also, they have world-class coaching. And, like, let's remember, it's not just Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster who are obviously doing and have done an unbelievable job at the top of the tree. If you look all the way down through the Leinster underage sides, if you look at someone like Noel McNamara, who has left the Leinster system, has gone over to the Sharks and, you know, masterminded their attack last week in utterly dismantling Munster. So, and now I know he's from Clare, but he's very much um, came through the Leinster system with Congos and that. So you look at the, the quality of young coaches they have coming through and it's up to, I know it's it's very difficult to compete when you have the resources and the school system is just so, so impressive. I caught... Um, a good few of the Leinster schools games this season again and the final in particular and the standard of the rugby that they're playing is unbelievable but they have unbelievable coaching in schools level so the, like and I know most listeners will already notice that like you know kids are not kids but like teenagers are coming out of school into the Leinster sub academy academy like ready to to make the step up probably quicker than they've ever been and like you have to acknowledge the fact that so much of the money that's being pumped into the schools, like some of the salaries that, you know, you hear of director of rugby's and head coaches that they're earning in these schools is off the charts, really. So, um, you know, a lot of that apparently is being pumped in by parents, you know, and things like that. And it's very difficult for, you know, other places to compete with that. But that's just the reality like of the situation that Leinster find themselves in. Like they're not doing anything wrong. The Ireland rugby team is, I know it's Leinster dominated, but it's playing some of the best rugby that we've probably ever seen. Their success has been unbelievable after just winning the Grand Slam. So I don't think, I, I think it's a very fine line between pointing out, you know, the advantages that Leinster have and also like, you know, making out that that should be some sort of criticism. You think back to when Munster were winning, you know, Champions Cups back in, you know, a few years ago, uh, well, a good few years ago now, like no one was really talking about, you know, the big advantages that Leinster had then. And it, while it is going to be difficult to to cut the gap for the likes of Connacht, especially Ulster and Munster, it's up to everyone else to kind of rise to that level. What do we want to do? We want Leinster to get worse and then say that, you know, Irish rugby is grand. We'll have more of a level playing field. So it's a tricky one. I can understand fans' frustrations, but it's not like Leinster are doing anything wrong. For sure. It's, it's definitely an interesting talking point. And as you say, like Don McFarlane, he wasn't like saying something out of school or, or saying something revelatory. It was pretty obvious some of the things that he was pointing out. Albeit, as you say, when you read the comments after the match, they might sound different to what the way he said it. Or you don't know what question he was asked a lot of the time to that, that prompted these, these sort of answers. Luke, in terms of, you know, you touched on Ulster and how they'll be disappointed. You know, there was a number of guys in that team who people were maybe wondering if they should have had more Ireland involvement or they had Ireland involvement in the recent past and Andy Farrell went away from them. They didn't really stand up hugely at the weekend. Even someone like Tom O'Toole, who had a really good Six Nations, you know, conceded a raft of penalties, was lucky not to be simbined, was hooked at half time. Michael Lowry really struggled to fall back under the high ball. Robert Balakoon didn't really get involved in the game that much. I know it was piss and rain, but, you know, didn't get many touches. I know James Hume scored a try, but he also got Simbind, albeit, you know, that was probably... Ah, that was, that was a terrible, terrible decision. That he he was that was a perfect uh, poach, I thought. It was a perfect poach. Entrance, was, uh, entry, uh, there was a perfect gap. Uh, he was really hard done by on that one. Um, but yeah, there wasn't much of a showing from them. I didn't think they... I, I thought that kind of tied into the, the, the endeavour that they showed. Um, you know, they didn't really try too much. I think the conditions did were, was always going to restrict that, but you still had to have periods where you were going to, you know, try something or you were going to at least hang on to the ball and put Lencer under pressure and, and, you know, try and get them to concede a few penalties, build pressure that way. And, and I didn't think they really did that. So that's why, you know, you never see, you didn't see many of the backs' names in, 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 in headlights, you know. I think, um, you know, and then then you had these kind of, they, they lost a couple of big moments as well. Like Leinster, to my mind, didn't really lose many of those big moments. Um, you think of the bear try. I mean, how soft was that defense? Like that was just a one out play. Treadwell misses the tackle, I think. And I don't know who the defender outside him was, but why would you ever, ever be drifting that close to your line when there's literally a, a, a number six carrying the ball at full steam? Like just basic stuff like you can't make like and I think good teams don't make those basic defensive errors like Leinster would never make that error there I, I just could never see Josh van der Fleer Baird uh you know Conan or Doris ever making that kind of mistake and or you know or James Ryan missing that tackle and that really that, that kind of I, I thought Leinster had a tricky enough period before that Baird uh try and I thought that settled them down a little bit they kind of felt like mm, okay I think we can do this thing you know even though we've had a shaky enough start 
uh, you know, you just can't give good teams those those things. And and then you think as well, like you think of the size of of uh, Jacob Stockdale missing that tackle on um, James and Gibson Park. Like they're huge moments, you know, and you, you just can't do those things. They were that was an easy run in from a period from a, a bit of play that Leinster, you know, Leinster dropped the ball. Like James Gibson Park looks alive. Yes, he he gets it and turns, but like get, like that should should have been a, an offensive tackle by by Jacob Stockton. Instead, he ends up slipping off it. Just really sloppy stuff. Will and they were two kind of key moments in the game. If you think about that scoreline, and um, you know, kind of fourteen point swing there, and you know. In the conditions, those kind of things are pretty important. Like, you, like there's a real chance that you know if Leinster don't score those two, that you know two or three phases, if you can contain them or you you put in a good tackle in those circumstances, you probably get a turnover or Leinster drop the ball or something like it was. It was the conditions were really really poor, and I just felt like you know it was a game where they lost those moments again you think of that scrum like the, the ultra scrum never looked like it was under that much pressure all game like there was yes maybe a little bit of stuff but I, that was a massive moment again like when Leinster kind of felt like mm, do you know what these guys could get a lift from this here they you know we've had a terrible kickoff here um you know it's gone dead and all of a sudden they get shunted off the ball like that, it's rare enough you see a, a pack doing that these days um you know, and I just felt like there was loads, there was a lot of those kind of moments in the game from from Ulster um, that just don't, they're not really a reflection of how good those players are. So I, I think, yeah, certainly players have to look at themselves, but, but coaching staff have to as well. You know, I think um, there was kind of a period where we were kind of, well, I was kind of thinking that, you know, that is, that's a very solid coaching staff. But at some point, like if there's, if this happens, you know, this often, you know, they'll have to have a close look at themselves as well. They can't just be rinsing the players for, for this because it's consistently been a case where this team hasn't performed at the highest level in big games um, and lost, as I said, all, like lots of the really big moments, Will, that turn the game. Um, you know, and in those conditions, like all the good teams I ever played on, in those conditions, you just wanted to give yourself a sniff, make them play one more phase. You know, there's always a chance someone throws a bad pass or drops something, or you get one of your guys gets in for a turnover uh, in, in tricky conditions. Um, and I just felt it didn't see much much cup rugby from uh, from from Ulster. Any nous from them really well, you know. Yeah, and this is season number five for Don McFarland, and a lot of people were talking about that first year when they got to the quarterfinals and almost beat Leinster. And then he, the point he made was that well, they followed that up with an absolute hammering against Glasgow, and he pointed out that they, you know, they almost beat the Storm versus South Africa. So is that progress in the intervening four years or so? But as you said, Luke, at the weekend, you know, to get to cut the gap to eight points with twenty minutes to go, you have a scrum on halfway after Leinster make another error, you have a lot of chance to put pressure on them there. And then also the opening ten minutes, I thought went perfectly for Ulster. They, there was doubt in the Leinster minds. Leinster had a couple of drop balls. Hugo Keenan spilled one in the twenty-two, which is you know unbelievably rare. And you kind of got the sense that if, if they were going to win, that's how the opening game or the opening few minutes had to go. But Leinster, as you said, that Ryan Bear Troy settled them right down. And after that, they never really looked like losing. Keenan, do you want to jump in there on any of those points? To me, Ulster have kind of stagnated a little bit. I think. I think you know, there's been a lot of focus on uh, Jared Payne leaving the setup and how much of an important voice he was in terms of the defensive side of things but maybe not a lot has been said about Dwayne Peel leaving because Ulster's attack has gone backwards I thought it was non-existent at, existent at the weekend now of course you can allow for the conditions they scored they did score a nice try from Billy Burns crossfield kick but when you've got a back three of Mike Lowry uh, Robert Balakoon and Jacob Stockdale you've got to find a way to get them involved into the game and I just don't think they did that enough I think they're so they're they're overly reliant on their mall which is an absolute weapon and they scored a really good try from Rob Herring and I think it's that's a, probably a concern from a Leinster point of view they've got to tidy that that kind of thing up before you get to the the real meat of the the season against the Toulouse or the La Rochelles of this world but I think they're too reliant on the mall and against it, it kind of just reminds me of Ireland in the past a little bit against the better teams like a Leinster you've got to have more in your locker than that and I think you know I go back to when I said about the weather I thought that played right into Leinster's hands because I don't think this Ulster pack have the players to to strike fear into the likes of a Leinster now I know you're talking about you know apart from Ross Maloney like a, a basically an, an Irish pack and that's fair enough but you still have to find a way to to beat them and I just don't think they asked enough questions of them and this has been I agree with Luke like this like we could have been having this conversation last season the season before I know they beat Leinster in the league last season but when it comes to the crunch Ulster seemed to find a way of losing they had that awful wobble earlier in the season and to be fair they got things back on track but 
like does anyone really expect Ulster to to go and win the the URC now like I certainly don't because I think when it comes down to it I don't know if it's a mental thing or what I still think like Dan McFarlane I'm not for a second calling for his head but I wonder would a fresh voice within the setup maybe around the attacking side of things I think Dan Soper is the one looking after it at the moment he initially came in as a skills coach but I wonder would a fresh voice in that setup be be needed just to have a different pair of eyes a different perspective on things because like lads it's not that long ago like we were you know really praising that Ulster back and you think of how well James Hume was playing people were calling for James Hume to be putting pressure on Gary Ringrose and now like he's he's nowhere near the Irish setup so um we've seen what this Ulster side are capable of but if you compare where they've gotten to now compared to even last season I think they've gone backwards a little bit so um I think there requires a bit of a rethink over the summer if I'm being honest I don't know if that's on the agenda if that's going to happen obviously they're bringing in Stephen Kitchoff like he'll you know make a difference to the front row but um you look at the, the back row Dwayne Vermeulen he looks like a shadow of him former self and has done I would say for a while looks like a guy who's running on empty like he's got a lot of miles on the clock over what has been a brilliant career so um yeah it's a bit I would be concerned if they, they missed Henderson as well like I think they they, they lack I think Kitchoff is a brilliant bit of business for them um, but I think they lack, and I think Stewart comes good over time. He looks very good already, and I like Herring, both good. Difficult to compete with Leinster, you know, the Leinster hookers there, but I think that's a pretty close, like, as hookers go, they look deep there. Kitsoff is certainly world class, um, you know, but I think in the row, a big, big problem for Ulster is Henderson is never fit and hasn't been for 10 or 12 years. Like, he's he's one of those guys who just, whether it's soft tissue or, you know, kind of big injuries, just been very, very unlucky throughout his career, um, you know, with injuries. Um, but, you know, the, he's on big money there. He's their captain. You kind of need those guys to be playing, and he's never playing for them. Like, that's a big, big problem for them. And I thought Treadwell looked very light in, um, you know, like he looked he looked a bit lightweight. Um, I like O'Connor, but I just don't know. Is, is he, are those two enough? Like, Keen actually was the guy who highlighted that difference to me. We, that was, I think, that, I don't know whether that was offline we were chatting, Keen, or whether it was on this. We I never, stopped, we never stopped talking about rugby, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> but I think those two things are. Um, th- th- those two guys really stood out as a difference because I thought, I-, I thought Jack Cohn had a very good game, but the best player on the pitch for me was James Ryan on the weekend. I just thought he was outstanding, um, and has been outstanding for a while, um, this this season, you know. And I just thought there was a massive, massive gap between those guys, uh, those four guys on 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 the weekend. Well, I think that's a big area. I think any team, I don't, I just can't think of a big team that doesn't have a really high-quality, meaty second-row pairing that does massive, massive amounts of hard work for them. Uh, and Ulster, to my mind, just don't have that and haven't had that for, for quite a long period of time. Probably since Muller was there partnering kind of Henderson whenever he was playing, uh, if I'm being honest. Any, any thoughts on that? Do you think Henderson's become a bit of a problem for them, I think, because he's such well, a talented he, he could be and leaving, apparently, at the end of the season. There's just talk that he could you know, go to Japan, potentially, and I think a few French clubs might have, might have put in you know bids for him as well. He might have ultimately stay but he because he's going to be 31 i think this year you know maybe it is a time for him to experience a a new culture keen i think we're yeah like we were myself and luke were chatting about this and i had kind of highlighted the 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 second rows like i've been i have to say i've been disappointed with treadwell uh this season like he was outstanding on the new zealand tour last year without a doubt the breakout started like he played such a key role coming off the bench and I thought, you know, coming into this season, because he wasn't necessarily first choice for Ulster uh, last season. And, you know, they brought in Sam Carter and he hasn't been a good signing really at all, like with, particularly with Henderson out injured. So I've been a bit disappointed that Treadwell hasn't been able to kick on. Obviously, he, pay, he paid the price for losing his place in the Ireland squad. But Joe McCarthy and Ty Burns injury uh, opened the door again for him to come back in. And yeah, look, Alan O'Connor, like he's a great cl- club player, but I mean, he's never been next or near an Irish squad from from what I know. So I think that says a lot. Um, I think they've got a massive problem at 10 as well. I know we've spoken about this at length, but um, when you, you talk about trying to get your attack firing and you see what Billy Burns is capable of with the crossfield kick for James Hume's try, but you don't have enough moments of that in, in the bigger games. And I'd be very surprised if... Ulster were to end their their trophy drought with with someone like Billy Burns playing ten. I know that's very harsh, but Dan, Dan McFarland seems to have his favourites, and Billy Burns is one of them. Alan O'Connor is another one. They play. They're one of the first name two two names on the team sheet, and I just don't know if they're at the elite top level. Um, 
Billy Burns, I think, has got nothing. Uh, Bill, Billy Burns, Billy Burns always had a lovely kind of short mm. kicking game, cross field kicking game. That's never been in doubt. But like, he's never been able to run the show. He doesn't have a long kicking game. You know, you know, he can't put pressure on teams from, from you know, in, into touch. He can't gain you like, do you know those kind of pressurized ones where you're going to go? Do you know what? That was great. You know, Johnny Sexton or Ross Byrne bang the kind of 40, 50 meter one down the touchline. You know, you know those kind of ones. He just doesn't have that, and he doesn't have the ball playing ability or. That you know, and if you, if you don't have that ball playing ability, you better have bloody good deception so that at least the defender in front of you has to hold and respect you. Um, you know, with your footwork or your pace or something like that. I, I just don't see any of that with, with, with Billy Burns. Like, I just think, like, if I was Ulster, I'd be really looking to this is something to tie into maybe what Dan McFarland's do. Like, they, someone has to have a conversation about all the resources at, Len, at Leinster. You know, if the IRFU are paying for, for, basically the professional game and overseeing that and kind of budgeting for all this stuff having all those resources sitting on the bench in Leinster uh, and there's obviously going to be another one from the 20s join them this year who apparently is unbelievable I was talking to Sean O'Brien um, you know I, I think Prendergast apparently is outstanding um, you know he's been really really impressed with him in training but they have a load of guys kind of piling up there who are top quality guys getting four or five games a season um, provided they're not injury free now that might clear up a little bit next season but if I'm Ulster, like you have to be putting pressure on to get those resources. I know it's hard to 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 get them away, but I, I, the IRFU need to be willing to make. They need to be willing to sacrifice some budget for this because what you the only way you're going to be able to attract these guys out of Leinster is by paying them like really good money, uh, which I don't think they're willing to do at the moment. Um, I, any any thoughts on any of that stuff? Because that, that to my mind has been a problem position for Ulster for quite a period of time now. Well, Luke, if you think about it um, in this way, like Ian Madigan is up there. Like I know he didn't come from Leinster, but he's part. Of, he's from the Leinster system, and also like a young monster out half went up there, Jake Flannery. Now. People could turn around and say, oh, well, Jake Flannery isn't good enough. But how does anyone know? He's hardly played for them. So that's a guy who was caught in the backlog of Munster, you know, from Tipperary, sent sent up to Ulster. And he's hardly played for them. So this is what I mean by Damon Farley seems to have his favourites in the likes of Billy Burns and Alan O'Connor. But, you know, if it's Sam Prendergast, who, like, by the way, I can't see... Um, of all the out-halves coming through at the moment, I cannot see Leinster letting him go because from what I'm hearing as well, I was t- t- I think I was telling you that last week. Unbelievable. Like yeah. I was chatting to Mark Sexton, Johnny's brother, um, after the, the Grand Slam. And, you know, I was asking him about comparisons to Johnny. It's, is it a bit ridiculous to compare a 20-year-old? And he was like, no, he is like really, really similar in the way he carries himself, in his style of play, his temperament. And if Johnny Sexton's own brother is saying that, that is seriously high praise. So, I can't see them letting a player like Sam Prendergast go. But even if, let's say, he did, like I know he, he, his ceiling is potentially higher, probably higher than someone like a Jake Flannery. Like, but if he's looking at it going, well, Billy Burns is playing here every weekend anyway. Like Ian Madigan is there, Jake Flannery is there. They don't get a look in. Like even you look at the what they did at the weekend when Billy Burns went off injured, they had to move move Mike Lowry to out half because they didn't have another out half on the bench so um this is it's yeah i agree this has been a bit of a problem position for the last couple of years but it doesn't look like it's going to be be changing anytime soon so yeah i don't know it's hard one to get your head around like it feels wasteful when you look at that back line to mm, me of course it is like of course it is. whatever you say about the defensive frailties like and there certainly is a bit of that but I always think that um, you know the backs weren't that bad defensively on the weekend. I thought they were poor in the air, um, but other than that, there were some decent ones going forward in fairness, but some bad ones going backwards too. And I think um, from an attacking perspective, like they just never, they were never released. Like no one took a chance on them. Like I, I don't care who you are, Hume is difficult to 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 take down. He's got great footwork, good pace. McCluskey, like on a wet day, that was built for someone like him to be t- to be charging that ball into Ross Byrne all day, um, you know, uh, kind of big, heavy carries. And then those, those back three that you guys mentioned, like, I, I just can't see how, you know, you have someone like Larry who can play 10. He can definitely get the ball to those wide channels. Like, you need a 10 feeding him. You know, you need someone, you need him popping up all over the pitch, being a playmaker, even in those crappy conditions. Um. I, I just feel like a proper 10 would have got that game with a scruff of the neck a little bit for, for the Ulster back and took a little bit of pressure off them. You're never going to get that with Burns. I, I, I feel like I'm always attacking the guy, but I just think it's a real shame that Ulster haven't... They don't even seem to be looking at that uh, that area, which I think is a little bit odd to my to my mind. I, I just... Maybe they... I, I, Feels to me like they don't think it's a problem. But how many how many times did how many times did Robert Balakun get the ball in hand? And like you can use the, the 
the conditions as an excuse all you want, but like Leinster still had to play in them too. And you look at the way Ireland play with their wingers now, and you know Andy Farrell's, you know, it gets mentioned so so often, but it's so important, like that he doesn't want his wingers to be tidy. I would say Ulster have two very tidy wingers in Jacob Stockton and Balakun. They don't like. Stockdale actually wasn't bad, to be fair. He, he tried to involve himself, but you need to see more from these guys. And I don't know if that's a system thing, if they're just, you know, they're being told to stay out wide in the edge because you look at the way the modern game is going and the wingers like James Lowe and Matt Hansen coming in off the wing all the time looking to get involved. And when you've got a guy like Robert Balakoon, who like I really thought would be much more in the Irish frame, I have to say, at this stage of his career, and he's kind of fallen off away, away as well. So, um. I wouldn't pin all the responsibility on Billy Burns by any means. Like I go back to the point I made. I don't know, does it need a fresh pair of eyes in terms of the attack and how they're looking to play? Because there's no doubt that we've already seen it, that this backline has serious potential when they get moving. Yeah, and I said earlier it was year five of Don McFarlane, but it's also year five of Billy Burns, which you'd think is ample time to assess whether he's the right playmaker to unlock the backline's potential or to lead them to a trophy. So it will be interesting to see if there's any movement on that going forward. But Luke, from a Leinster perspective now, it's a short turnaround to Friday. You know, good good Friday game against Leicester uh, on Friday night. You know, Leinster penciled in as, as big favourites. You know, some of the guys who played really well towards the end of the Six Nations at big games. You mentioned Jack Cohn earlier. Ryan Baird was brilliant. Like him snagging Michael Lowry uh, was probably one of the, the highlights of the game in terms of him showing off his athletic ability. They look well placed to, to progress again, do you think? Yeah, I can't see, uh, you know, one of the English teams beating them. Um, maybe Saracens have that little bit of belief in some big game players, but I still don't think they'll have enough. Um and uh, Leicester certainly fall into that bracket away from home in the Aviva. I think they'd need Leinster to have a really, really poor night uh, to uh, have any chance of, of winning the game, I think. So, yeah, all bodes well. As you say, Josh van der Fleer will be, uh, certainly be a, a loss, but they have plenty of quality there. They have Will Connors, they have uh, Penny, who I thought was pretty decent when he came on. Um, you know, and they have uh, you know they have plenty of guys to, to come back in. Caelan Doris could be another one, maybe. I don't know whether he slots in there. I don't know how that might work, but... Um, you know, he might be too big for that slot, but we wait and see on, on, on his fitness levels. Apparently, he's more of a doubt than, than Gary Ringrose from what I'm hearing. But um, yeah, no, look, Leinster, embarrassment of riches, loads of loads of quality players there to, to pick from. And I think they'll have too much um, for, for this Leicester side. Um, you know, and if Gary Ringrose is back, I think that's another, yeah, it's another nail in the coffin as such before the game even starts. I think he, you know, he, he ties everything in. Uh, for this Lancer team and defensively he takes that team to another another level I think um, so I expect them I expect them to have too much for Leicester pretty much everywhere all over the pitch that Leicester pack isn't it's not the same Leicester pack that you know I would have grown up kind of playing against um, that you would have kind of feared going over uh, to, to, to a welfare or playing them um, it's not the same so I think Leinster will have too much for them Will and um, yeah they should march on pretty, pretty comfortably I think to the uh, semi-finals one four they do have who's in decent form is Jasper Visa, the Springbok. He's quite an unbelievable try against Edinburgh Flat and Jamie Ritchie uh, on, on route to the corner. Keen, you know, what do you think Leinster will do? So say Conan's back playing really well again. I think he, he's hit he's hitting his top form or close to it. If Caelan Doris comes back into the mix, Josh van der Fleer, if he gets back fit, like and Ryan Baird's been so good at six, do they put maybe Baird back into the second row alongside James Ryan and go with a back row of Maybe Cohen at six this time because we had this conversation earlier in the year. Doris at eight, Van der Fleer at seven, or do they keep maybe Cohen in reserve like Ireland have done and have Baird at six? There's a few different options they can go with. Yeah, I I don't know if Doris will come back this week. He might even be on the bench. I, I think Leinster are in such a strong position, and to be fair, the back row went so well last week, and I think Scott Penny can slot in there, no problem at all. Like, but I thought, you know, I agree. I thought James Ryan was outstanding last weekend, but I thought so too was Ryan Baird. He must have pushed really close for the man of the match. So um, I, I much prefer Ryan Baird at six. I'm like a, you know, a broken record going on about that. Um, I prefer Caden Doris at eight, but I don't think there's really a, necess- a massive need to rush Doris back unless he's 100% fit. Obviously he had the head knock, but I think he was also ill last week, which is why he, he missed out. Um I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Jenkins starts this game, actually, with James Ryan in the second row, just add a bit more beef. I thought Ross Maloney played really well. I think Maloney's been having a really good season. But I think you sign a guy like Jason Jenkins for for these games, and I agree with Luke. I don't think this Leicester pack is, um, is anything to be fearful of at all. And actually, they're still trying to play this kind of forward-dominated game plan that they played under Bortwick that obviously won them a premiership, but... 
Like I was over in Welford Road for the quarter final last year, and Leinster absolutely wiped the floor with them. I, the score I didn't quite reflect how dominant they were in the end, but I think they were twenty points up after was it twenty minutes? I'm going to say real they quick. Bumped, anyway, they so them over there, and, yeah, and so, the forwards. You're right. The forwards did the main bit of damage in the game. Yeah, but if you think about like Leicester are missing their best forward from last year in Ellis Genge and their best back in George Ford. Like, that was their two best players, and they're both gone, and Leinster beat them out the gate last year. So, I, we're, we sound like we're really looking ahead here, but I, I do think that, uh, it, you know, Leinster just... I, I'm very... Like, this could come back to, to, to bite me, but, like, I'm very, very confident. I upset a lot of Leicester fans on Friday night. Um, their supporters club, I think, retweeted one of my tweets that I just said it was a dire game. It was one of the games I got to watch against Edinburgh, and it was an awful game. You're right, Will. The try was brilliant by Visa, but it was such a poor game. And I just, I'm just not impressed with Lens- with Leicester. I wasn't impressed with them at all in the quarterfinal last year. But anyway, uh, the tweet made its way into the Leicester supporters because I said that I don't think anyone would be having sleepless nights about playing Leinster. Now, when I said anyone, what I meant was Leinster because I was pretty confident Leinster were going to beat Ulster the the following day. But yeah, the, Le- the Leicester fans didn't uh, didn't like it. I got called all sorts. But I think the reality is. Like there's a fine line between being arrogant and confident, but it's not being arrogant. I just think like this Leinster team at home are so tough to beat, and like Leicester just plays such a rigid game plan. I mean, when you've got Pollard at ten, you know what you're going to get. Like heavy kicking game, exactly like the Springboks, whereas the backs outside you don't really get um, a chance to get involved at all. And if Leicester, which they certainly will, want to play that game on Friday, then. I think Leinster will say, grand, we'll just take you on up front exactly as they did to, to Ulster last weekend. Now, I do think uh, this Leicester team will should be more of a threat than, than Ulster, but I just think Leinster will have will have too much. And that's, yeah, not being arrogant. I just think that's the place Leinster are in. When we get to the semi-final, I don't think I'd be as confident as I am now. But certainly, um, you look at the standard of the Premiership across the board, and I just think it's an overhyped league um, at the moment. You look at even Saracens last weekend really struggled against um, against the Ospreys and pulled away at the end. Now, to be fair, Gloucester really put it up to to La Rochelle, but um, yeah, like you look at Leicester, like they just didn't fire a shot last season in the in the Champions Cup against Leinster after going in as a. As Premiership champions, so I would imagine. I think the the bookies when I checked earlier in the week had it at eighteen points. Now, to be fair, they had it at fifteen points against Ulster, and they were spot on. So I think eighteen points probably sounds about right. Yeah, one thing I saw earlier was James Cronin, the Leicester prop, saying that there's going to be buses of uh, Highfield rugby club people coming up to support Leicester on, on Friday night, which I thought was very funny. So uh, hopefully they have a, have a good night out, even if the result might not go Leicester's way. Luke, just to finish up now, we've kind of kept the, the worst for last, I suppose, in some ways, and that's Munster's performance against the Sharks. At halftime, it looked like they were in an okay place, but I actually did notice when the team ran out for the second half, they looked extremely hot, sweaty and gassed. And a, lot of red, third, a lot of red faces. <laughs> yeah, and in that third quarter, yeah. the Sharks just run away. But as we said earlier, the last two and a half matches, the defence has just conceded over 120 points, you know, 17 tries, I think it is. Like, that, that's that's astonishing. Like, what's what's gone wrong over the last few weeks? It looks like all the, the good work could come undone when they have to go to South Africa for two more matches in a few weeks' time. Defence is just an easy one to get right, you know, and you just don't give up easy opportunities. And I just thought they fell away so badly in that respect. They'll be really, really disappointed with that. Um, you know, because you, then you have to start chasing the game and making funny decisions here and there, things you wouldn't normally have to do in, in a game that was tighter. And, and I don't think they did themselves justice. I think they have come on a huge amount this season. Uh, lots to be positive about, but they need to get back on the horse. Now, like, look, I think we all felt like that was going to be a tough ask anyway, particularly with all the Sharks, big players back at home, uh, Heineken Cup. You just always felt like they were going to show something different than they have in the league um, of late, you know? And I just think, um, you know, you saw a bit of that. You saw that power. Like, I think no one... I don't I don't think there's many teams that will want to play the Sharks in the in the knockout stages. Um, they just look... I know they've got a tough ask now. I think they're heading to lose, aren't they? Um you know, that's, that's a really tough ask. But I, I don't think you'd be confident playing the Sharks because if they bring it physically, um, you know, they've got the finishers. You saw them at Pimpy, uh, you know, um, these guys. Like, they've got some serious, serious quality and pace, to you know, allied with that pretty fearsome pack. So, um, yeah, look, it was always going to be a big ask going down there. I just think we always felt that, you know, given where Munster had come from last week as well, uh, you know, from the, from the defensive perspective, we always felt like there was going to be, 
they were just going to be stingier in that respect. They were going to get more things right. They were going to be better at the breakdown. And we just didn't get that at the key juncture in the game. And it got ugly, I think. And I, I thought they were, I, I felt like it was a little bit lucky that the scoreline wasn't further apart at, at the end to me. Um, so that was kind of a bit disappointing, I think. Um, but I do think, I think we get a response from them. I think they have a better end of season league campaign than than, than this Heineken Cup showing um has i think um you know a few players get a little bit better for them i think they play crowley a bit more now at 10 it looks like you know uh you know i hope he is a big end of the season i really like I like him as a player um you know i think um i think the pack does better i, t- I still think they, they're going to have to have a pretty good off season in terms of you look at ulster getting kits off like i think this the, the monster like and particularly roundtree like if he can't sell the project there like brilliant supporters great stadium like you know should be able to sell that project to a few really, really top quality front rowers. Will um, and I think he needs to do that. I think that's a big gap for them. Uh, I like some of the talent coming through in the back row and and uh, and 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 at lock. I think they're a little bit more solid there than I than I thought they would be. But the front row is a big problem for them. Uh, there's a massive, massive gap between them uh, there and the, and the, even even Leinster like that. If you look at the Leinster Munster like kind of two two teams lined out against each other. The front row is a massive, massive problem for them. And you look at the, like how powerful and how dynamic, um, you know, how much contribution Leinster's front rowers make to the game around the pitch. You wouldn't always say that about front row teams, but Leinster's front row, like it's un, it's unheard of the contributions they make around the pitch. You just don't get that from this Munster team, I don't think. Um, so I think that's a, you know, if I'm looking at what they need to fix for next year, that is definitely the area that's really, I think, highlighted to me. So, um, yeah, look, disappointing day for them, but I think they will improve a little bit towards the end of the season. I, I think they're they're still trending in the right direction, but just a couple of disappointing weeks, and they need to get that defense sorted quickly. Yeah, if I'm looking at potential green shoots from what was a terrible day, like Orgy Snyman did, like you know he put he got about the pitch. He was offloading maybe a little too much on occasion, but it was still good to see him with that endeavor. I thought the attack in the first half actually when the game was actually in the melting pot. Caused loads of problems. Calvin Nash was brilliant throughout his uh, or Shane Daly's early try. Like, th- like that was really good attacking rugby. And it was just the second half. You know, t- t- to be fair, like the conditions that they were playing in will be pretty alien to Irish players. I don't want to have an excuse and like I don't want to sound like a whinger or whatever. But like those conditions are pretty alien to be playing in thirty degree heat with that humidity. Like we don't usually play rugby in those conditions, and it did seem to really. I know Munster apparently did heat training in the build-up, but it did seem to play its impact. But Keen, what's your assessment overall of, of you know where Munster are at now, the game of the weekend, just some of the points that were raised? Yeah, the conditions were were tough, but I mean Munster has spoken so often this season about how much their fitness has improved, and I know it's a different kind of fitness, but. They just look gassed. You were right when they came out for the second half. They were they were blowing hard, and I think the Sharks um, sensed that because they just stepped it up. And as soon as they stepped it up in terms of the power stakes, Munster just couldn't live with them. Um, I agree. Look, I I'm still definitely glass half full about Munster. Um, I think their attack has been really good under Mike Prendergast this season. Um, it's a world away from the the type of stuff we were seeing on Johan van Grans under Johan van Grans. So that's definitely going in the right direction. And it's good to see, you know, guys like Calvin Nash and Shane Daly being rewarded for form because they're the kind of guys who were being left out for your kind of bigger names um, in the past. So that's definitely a positive. Um, the breakdown was an absolute horror show for them uh, at the weekend. Now that was, that was a big, big issue at the start of the season. And, you know, at the start of the season, you're kind of able to put it down to, you know, different messages, new coaches uh, coming in, trying to put their stamp on things. And to be fair, they had really tightened it up. They went on a good run, but at the weekend, like, I mean, you can, you can blame the conditions for certain things, but guys just didn't, they looked unsure what their roles were in terms of how many guys to be committing there. They were so passive. And against a South African team, like, full of Springboks, let's, like, remind ourselves, you've got to be more aggressive and show more intent from, from that point of view. So I think the coaches would be really disappointed um, from the pack I think if they're being honest they would agree with Luke's point but they're never going to say that publicly that there is a significant uh, power deficit um but how long have we been saying this for like this has been an on-running issue for so many years at Munster and like I, I don't you know where they've recruited as well like you know I know he's leaving now anyway but people at the time were questioning why Fekato was signing the center when again 
there was a gaping hole in the front row. Like, they, like that that made no sense at the time. And it's 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 as the season has gone on, it's become even more nonsensical. I know he started the weekend, like, but he he didn't play great either. But you know, it, it just it never made sense. No, and he, like he had a one plus one deal, and they're obviously not extending it. And he's going to Benetton at the end of the season. Now I know Benetton are playing brilliant rugby and they were outstanding against Connacht but they're not exactly one of the top sides in Europe so that maybe says says a lot as well but in terms of like Luke's point about Graham Rountree being able to sell the the monster product or project I think he he definitely would be but you know it's not as easy just going out and signing whoever you want because there are obviously a couple of issues in that monster have to have the funds which you'd imagine they do because they were able to bring in a guy like Fekatoa who was on pretty pretty good money um but they also needed to be signed off by David Nusifora and the IRFU. And obviously that kind of complicates matters as well because they want to see certain guys being pushed through the Irish system. But when you see like Stephen Kitchoff signing for Ulster, like that's, you know, the kind of player that Munster need, even though I think they need a big hooker more than anything else. Like I know they're linked with Malcolm Marks and that doesn't sound like it's going to happen at all. But like someone of that ilk would be really, really important and a big tight head. Obviously they've left John Ryan go twice, which is madness really you see him he's starting week out week in week out for the Chiefs and Super Rugby but he's not the long-term answer either so everyone go you know they let John Ryan go you have to be honest and realistic about that as well that they need someone younger for the next few years John Ryan will come back next season and no doubt will plug the hole again but this has been Munster's problem they've been plugging holes for for too many years so I don't know if there's issues in terms of uh, the IRFU and New Sephora not signing off on things. I genuinely don't know um, if, if that's been the case, but there's only so long you can you can let this go because like if Munster starts um, next season with that front row again, then I think you're going to have the same old problems. And you know they might be training in the right direction, but they're under serious pressure now to save their season and also to save next season in terms of getting Champions Cup qualification. They've obviously got a weekend off this week. They'll they'll lick their wounds, but they have to go back down to South Africa for two games against the Stormers and the Sharks, who are more than likely going to be fully loaded for those two games so Munster are under pressure to get a URC playoff spot which they you know hopefully should get but in terms of getting into next season's Champions Cup and that has a knock-on effect in terms of recruiting players because you think post-World Cup there'll probably be a bit of movement players looking for a new challenge that's a good time to be going into the market but if Munster aren't playing Champions Cup rugby then like let's say Malcolm Marks for an example again I know it won't happen but how are you, how is Graham Rountree supposed to sell the Munster prod, product project sorry I keep saying product to a guy like that if you're not playing in the Champions Cup so these last two games of Munster's regular season in URC I think are massively massively important not just for this season but for next season as well yeah, it, it 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 it's it's hard to believe that like David Nusifor would greenlight Malachi Fekatoa coming into play in the center when he hasn't been on his best in years, and then have some sort of like roadblock up about signing a loose head or a hooker at Munster. As you say, considering Stephen Kitchoff has been signed at loose head at Ulster, um, and they had Roy Sullivan this year as well, and they have Eric O'Sullivan there who's a, like an Ireland tight head, albeit he's only played I think one one match. Like that, that doesn't really make that much sense to me. If that's what I know, are people saying that? Well, there's definitely, you know, a, a consensus out there, but that just might be, you know, paranoid Munster supporters that, that, you know, everyone's out to get them. But like a guy like, um, I saw a clip doing around on Twitter, a guy like Jack Boyle coming through the, the Leinster system at Loosehead, like Michael Millen is really highly rated by Leinster and I know he's very highly rated by Andy Farrell and the Ireland coaches as well so he looks like to be the future but Jack Boyle was the, the Grand Slam winning uh, loose head last year and he has been tearing up the AIL this season and obviously it's a big jump but we talk about the backlog of um of out halves in Leinster but there's a guy who Munster should be trying to to get down because look the Munster Academy is doing really good work um, over the last few years and Ian Costello coming back into that role has been massively important so this isn't like a, like kick Munster while they're down and they're not producing enough players but they're not producing enough front rows but that's a problem all across the world really isn't it it's such a difficult particularly in Ireland when you don't really have that profile of player you look at the the guys like Brian Gleeson and Ruin Quinn who were so important to the Ireland 20s winning the the grand under 20s grand slam this year but they're two back rows and like I agree with what Luke said like they've got pretty good options in in the back row at the moment that's not the issue so a guy like Jack Boyle is someone who if I was Graham Roundtree I'd be getting on to 
Leo well probably skipping Leo Cullen because he knows what he'll say going straight to the top and saying is there any chance we can get this guy to to Munster it's not as straightforward as that he'd have to want to move and all that but he looks like he could do a serious job for Munster over the next few years and not just a a stopgap you know yeah and like Leinster's argument I think has always kind of vetoed that and that you know the issue for them is that Keane Healy and Porter both when Ireland like they'll both be away with Ireland and like I get that argument but at the same time you know, I, I also don't think it's the right thing for Irish rugby, you know, or or for for Boyle's career, guys like that. There's always been a few of those kind of cases. You know, I think that you need to see these guys playing week in, week out. That's where you get better. And I can't think of any reason why someone like that wouldn't be wouldn't want to go down to Munster, train under like train under Graham Rowntree. Like, you could be in way worse places than that, learning your trade. So I, I don't know. It, it's you can see why they would say no. Like Munster haven't won a trophy in over ten years. Ulster haven't won a trophy in over fifteen years. So if you're a young player. And you, I get the point about playing, but you're like, would I? Do I really want to basically sa- potentially sacrifice my club career and go to a club where I might not I, win a I trophy? I think they get it right, though. Will I? I think uh, uh, you know, just talking. I've met Leamy randomly before one of the games. Like I, I, I think um, just passing him by in the street now. I think it was before the England game, and you know, I think they get it right. I think they've got good people in there now. I think they've got. You know, some homegrown guys in there too as well, and the coaching staff all the way through. I think they get... It, it was interesting to hear Donico, Donico Callahan talking about the fitness. He still didn't think the fitness was up to scratch in, in Munster. He thinks there's still a journey to go on there just from, from his commentary. Um, you know, I think they've recognized a lot of those things. I think they've had a pretty hard look at themselves, and I, I reckon they get a lot of these things right over the next couple of years. And I don't know, I'd feel positive about going in somewhere like that. I think there's still brilliant support. It's a great place to play. There's still loads of talent. If you think about the key positions there, um, you know, nine and ten, both young, up and comers. Um, you know, you could be part of a story where you're turning things around. Um and, and and you know, these things always look Leinster look look like they've got something solid going at the moment, but you just never know. The coaching staff is very important. You know, uh, Stuart Lancaster, that that could cause a few, you know ruffles here and there you know things may not be as rosy next season as, as we're expecting them to be with Leinster now it'd be hard with all the, the quality they have but you never know um so I don't know I'd rather be playing well rather than working out in the gym it's always I think you know I, I think if you're a rugby player you should be doing that and I still think Munster's a brilliant club so um yeah yeah it's interesting I bet you a lot of people a lot more people in, in Leinster that are kind of third fourth choice think like you do will than I do that seems to definitely be the case but um I, I can't for any reason think why, because I, I just think you need to be playing rugby to be. Yeah, it's, it's not that like, you know, so, certain players don't want to play rugby. It's just that like they see that they're in an environment at the moment that will be competing every year for, for, for trophies. And they probably in their own head think, I'll make my breakthrough here. You know, so why would I, why would I sacrifice making a breakthrough here and potentially winning a Champions Cup versus going to a project where neither team have won a trophy in a long time and haven't really competed at the top table of Champions Cup rugby in a long time either. The decision as well probably should be taken out of their hands to a certain expect, to a certain extent because I think that it's always hard for a competitor to say you're almost giving up the chase then, aren't you, to to Porter or someone like that. You're going to say, no, well, I think he's better than me, whereas that's really hard for an athlete to do sometimes. Sometimes you need someone to go, right, this is where you're best deployed. This doesn't mean that you're coming back here is shut off to you. You know, that that should never be the case. And Ireland just doesn't have the resources to do those kind of things, to shut off a province of someone. But I don't know. I always just feel like you're you're the best place to be competing with someone is actually in a game, not in a training pitch. Um, and I always think, uh, you know, when you're when an established international is in front of you with that kind of age profile that, that some of the Leinster guys are, um, I would always feel like, you know, you're going to get limited, limited opportunities and they have to play bad for a long time for you to get, you know, to be in there kind of permanently. And you have to do so much. We'd be perfect in training every single day. These little snippets of matches when you're playing with a team that's kind of put together at short notice, you have to be perfect in those ones too. I think it's really hard to get in with if you're not playing like 15 or 20 games a season to to, to oust someone. So that's my thoughts on it anyway. I, I, I don't know if I'm in the minority. I seem to be a little bit, but... um. I think it's a mistake, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's certainly an interesting debate, and one that we've had uh, plenty of times on this show. Mm. But for the moment, I'd like to thank Luke and Keane for joining me this week. We'll be back later in the week with a podcast digesting the team news ahead of the Champions Cup quarterfinals. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>